Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, April 9th, and this is your FT News Briefing. We are now some 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden, and the path toward victory is virtually impossible. Yesterday, Bernie Sanders dropped out of the 2020 U.S. Democratic presidential primary race. It clears the way for former Vice President Joe Biden to become the party's nominee and take on Donald Trump in November. Meanwhile, nearly 2,000 people died in the U.S. on Wednesday due to coronavirus. More than 14,000 Americans account for over a quarter of the COVID-19 deaths around the world. Despite those numbers, U.S. stocks were up at the close yesterday in anticipation of a peak in infections. But Wall Street banks are urging investors not to get their hopes up too soon. Plus, I'll take a look at the ongoing dispute between Italy and the Netherlands when it comes to Europe's economic response to coronavirus and how Singapore is fighting its third wave of infections. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. On Wednesday, U.S. stocks were up, with the S&P 500 closing up nearly 3.5%. Now, this is notable because a little more than two weeks ago, the index was at rock bottom. Since that point on March 23rd, it's been climbing almost as intensely as it felt during the initial shocks of the coronavirus pandemic. The hope is that the outbreak could be reaching its peak in some of the worst-hit parts of the world, and it's causing a rush back into stocks. But strategists on Wall Street aren't so gung-ho. They're warning investors to brace for a new wave of declines in stock markets. Strategists are saying, sure, central banks and governments have provided funding to cushion the hit to the economy from the pandemic, but more problems might be on the way. One global equity strategist at J.P. Morgan told the FT they're concerned the relief rally might not be sustainable. Goldman Sachs and Citigroup analysts are also urging caution, especially as companies absorb the scale of the economic shock. Next week, we'll get a clearer picture of how U.S. companies are doing in the coronavirus era as U.S. banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase and Goldman Sachs, kick off 2020 first quarter earnings reports. European finance ministers are meeting again today to try and resolve their differences on how to deploy the EU's bailout fund. This would go toward a post-crisis recovery in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. A disagreement between Italy and the Netherlands prevented the ministers from reaching an agreement. This was after a 14-hour on-off teleconference that ended early on Wednesday morning. I spoke to the FT's Brussels correspondent, Maureen Kahn, about what went wrong and whether the ministers can overcome the impasse. It's a very simple dispute among the finance ministers of the two countries about how the EU should use its bailout fund to help economies who might need emergency money to deal with the pandemic. Italy is saying that should it ever have to access the European Stability Mechanism's credit lines, it doesn't want any conditions attached to those loans, which means no promises to reform its economy in the future. The Netherlands is on the completely other side of the debate, and they think that any money which is accessed through the ESM should come with a very standard form of conditions, which means that in the future, once the emergency is over, Italy will have to promise to do X, Y, and Z to its economy. So basically, it can ensure that it can pay this money back. And where where do Germany and France stand on this d- divide? This is not so much a dispute which is dividing France and Germany for once. France, Germany and almost all the other 18 countries of the Eurozone and 26 countries of the EU 
think that some sort of loose conditionality on the ESM money is okay. However, it is proving to be a red line for the Dutch. This is probably due to some domestic factors in the Netherlands. Basically, the, the Dutch parliament is pretty staunch about the idea that the Netherlands should not pay for other countries' economic recovery, and especially in a way that they should pay for free. That is, they lose control of the money as soon as it's been dished out. So in some senses, the Netherlands is pretty isolated on this debate because France and Germany are not in either of the corners. They actually sort of are with the consensus. Now, now I'm curious, where do corona bonds fit into this debate? Where, where, where do they fit in? Corona bonds is another area which divides countries more so than the area of the ESM. So corona bonds is something where you see the Netherlands has allies in Finland, in Germany and in Austria as well. For now, I think that debate is being parked because the ministers understand that this is another thing which is a huge source of tension. So to avoid having another disagreement and even longer Eurogroup meeting, they've decided that that one is going to remain open and that one will be one for its leaders to fix. But that's Another issue, which I think a few weeks and months down the line is still going to be very live in the debate about how the EU responds to the coronavirus. Now, Maureen, ministers meet later today. Is there some sort of hope that they'll come to a compromise? There isn't much hope right now that any of the positions will have changed in the last 24 hours. I think the Dutch position is pretty categorical and so is the Italians. There is always in the EU some sort of middle ground and fudge to be done on the wording. And we heard that the French finance minister yesterday morning made some pretty strong comments about the fact that people are dying and ministers should not be quibbling over words and adjectives. So perhaps his warning will be heeded, but for now it looks like this won't be something which can be solved by the finance ministers tonight. Singapore has won praise for the way it handled a coronavirus outbreak earlier this year. But since then, things have gone a little into reverse. Now a new outbreak is making it hard for things to go back to normal. The FT's Stefania Palma, who's in Singapore, has the latest on how the government is handling the infections. Singapore essentially is facing a third wave of cases after stemming an increase in imported infections. Authorities released the latest numbers for uh, Wednesday, and the daily jump in uh, new cases has now broken a further record, counting 142 new infections. It's still unclear what exactly is causing this new jump, but what worries authorities is the fact that what is driving these numbers up are locally transmitted cases rather than imported ones, and also a very high number of patients who do not seem to have any link to previously confirmed cases. Um, Now, what was the city-state's initial strategy to handle the virus, and how well did did that work? So the city's strategy included very aggressive testing, very clear public communication strategy, very meticulous tracing of the contacts of confirmed patients, and honestly, a very, very strong healthcare system that was prepped even before Singapore got its first cases of coronavirus. Singapore definitely learned from its experience of SARS in 2003. So ever since then, they really ramped up 
the healthcare system. They completely restructured it. And in the meantime, between then and now, they also launched a National Infectious Diseases Center, which had been operating for about a year before the coronavirus outbreak. So the the healthcare system was really well placed to deal with the pandemic. So, Stefania, I'm wondering, had things returned to normal from what you've seen before this last outbreak? Daily life had never really been terribly disrupted. There was largely sort of freedom of movement. And not until this week did schools shut down and most workplaces shut down. As soon as this new third wave started gaining momentum, and especially after a big jump in foreign worker dormitories in Singapore, that's when the government started rolling out far more stringent distancing measures. So essentially, as of this week, there is basically what can be defined as a near total lockdown. And what kind of impact have we seen on the economy so far? And has the government done anything to assist businesses at all? So the impact on the economy is very, very severe. Government officials have said that this is probably one of the biggest uh, economic shocks that Singapore has faced since independence. So as a result, because the city-state is such a small open economy, very reliant on trade, very reliant on tourism as well. The government has unleashed an unprecedented relief package, which totals about 60 billion Singapore dollars, which is about 42 billion US dollars. And that's about 12% of GDP. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. We'll be taking a break tomorrow for Good Friday. We'll be back on Monday, April 13th. The FT News Briefing is produced by Amy Keene, Fiona Simon, and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Amelia Mahasek. We also had help from Gavin Coleman and Michael Bruning. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business... Global Corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.